Amen, amen, amen. If I had a title for this message today, it would be Crowds, Disciples, and Family. Uh, crowds, Disciples, and Family. Um, before we get into the word real quick, I just want to pull you back to the announcements. Um, just, number one, to reinforce one of those things that Jason mentioned. Uh, in March, March 2930, we have our Young Adult Conference Converge that we're really, really excited about. Uh, young Adults, make some noise if you were here, Young Adults. Okay, then. Oh, yeah, then. Okay, then. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah, I like that. I guess I'm... Me and my wife, are we young adults anymore? No, we have graduated. <laughs> but, um, but you know, we have a, a young adult ministry. If Ted was here, but he is uh, across the pond somewhere. But uh, it's titled the no, no, no Limit, No Age Limit Young Adult Ministry. So if you're feeling young and groovy, you're welcome, all right? Come on, get with it. Come on, get with it. Um, but, man, this is really, really exciting for us. Uh, we think it'll be a blessing not only to our body but our city um, to really um, pull uh, young adults from all over the Mid-South region uh, to encourage them to live faithfully for Christ and really inspire a, a, a Christ-proclamating movement all across our area. So come on and uh, be a part. Uh, we'll feed you and uh, we'll tell you more about it a little later on, all right? Um, <clears throat> I've been married to my beautiful bride 16 years, and uh, we had some, uh, no, not 16 years. We've been dating 16. We, we were together. We met 16, 17 years ago. Y'all went with it. Y'all were like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oops. Ooh. That's right. I'll just stop. Married 13, dating 16, 17 uh, I got it. We, I, we've been together. That's all. We still together. You know that. Okay, then. Uh, but uh, there have been, there have been uh, we, we had a couple moments to reflect uh, on our relationship um, over the past couple of days. And there have been several iterations of us, um, friends, friends with some uh, unchristlike benefits. And uh, you know, I understand what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. Uh, but we, uh, you know, we're, as Americans, Westerners, right, we have these classifications for our relationships, right? Oh, that's my friend. Oh, no, they're just an acquaintance. What is an acquaintance anyway? Isn't that just your friend? You just know their name? So if you just know their name, they're an acquaintance, right? You got acquaintances. You know, back in grade school day, you know, you used to write the, fold the, the note up. Will you go out with me? But then you had to specify. You had to take it to a new level, though. You know what I'm saying? You had to say, hey, will you go steady with me? You know what I'm saying? Is they, do they still do steady? Is that no? No. Oh, jeez. Man. Okay, then. Sorry. Okay. Oh, 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 there it is. It's in my note. Oh, now you just talk about exclusive, right? Oh, we're exclusive, right? Oh, no, we got open, right? We got all these different ways that we kind of classify relationships, how we relate with other human beings, whether it's romantic relationship, plutonic, platonic. Uh, we got all these classifications. Well, in this particular passage that we're going to look at in Mark 3, Jesus is going to introduce us to uh, these three people groups, and they're going to kind of form for us a picture of how he wants to relate to mankind. We're going to see uh, the crowds, right? We'll see the disciples, and they'll have um, some key features. And then we're going to see Jesus's family. And Jesus is, Mark has left this for us um, in his account of ways for us to understand how Jesus prefers to relate to us and how he kind of uh, interacts with humanity and mankind. I think every once in a while, it's good for us to examine passages like these just as a diagnostic. 
just to see where we fitting in. Are, are we more of a crowd or a fan person? I think there's a book. It's Kyle Idleman, maybe, fan or follower. Is that a book um, that I think uh, Gina read once before? But just examining this, where, like, where are we in these kind of position groups that the master um, has? And so let's read again. Verses 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Adamia, from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When, great, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, as we've dove through Mark in these first three chapters, this is kind of the, the years of Jesus' popularity. And, and, and I love verses 7 through 12 just to kind of give you some kind of understanding, uh, some type of picture of how wild Jesus' popularity was. You know, you've got these people coming from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from from beyond the Jordan, Tyre and Sidon. If you know anything, y'all ever been to the Middle East, you ever been to uh, the Holy Lands, right? It's kind of shaped like a little boot, and Jerusalem is kind of in the southern part of that little boot. But just, if you could just understand, people are coming from everywhere, north, south, east, and west, across the river, over the river, over the tracks, up the country, right? They coming from everywhere. What Jesus is doing to this region is absolutely outstanding. Right. It, it's, it's crazy. It's causing this stir so much so that Jesus is like, hey, man, get the boat ready, cuz get the boat ready because they getting too tied up on me. They might crush me. Now, I don't know if you ever had that many people around you that you would be crushed. But this is what Jesus is facing. People coming, literally making 100 mile journeys just to get to where he's teaching, just to hear him uh, proclaim the gospel, just to see if they might be healed or someone else might be healed. They're coming from everywhere. So Mark includes this. Just so you can get some kind of a picture of Jesus' popularity, right? Now, there's crowds here. Um, and, and inside of the crowd, there's those who want to hear the message. They want to hear this gospel taught with authority. Then there's the lame seeking restoration and healing. But also inside of the crowds, we got the skeptics. Everybody say skeptics. Everybody say the haters going to hate. But the players going to play. And I'm just playing. That's all right. Can, I don't know. Maybe just had to do the inverse. I'm sorry. But, you know, so the skeptics are there, and, 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 and especially as we saw in the conflict passages in chapter 2, right? He's going back and forth with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So they're also a part of this crowd that's here to see. Um, but also included the skeptics were also the demons, right? Y'all saw that in, uh, uh, <laughs> in Demons and Unclean Spirits, verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, cried out, you're the son of God. He strictly ordered them to not to make him known. Remember, we talked a little bit about this in, in, uh, uh, when Jesus was preaching in the synagogue in, in chapter 1, that they were in Bible study, and all of a sudden the demon's like, you are the son of God. And, and Jesus was like, oh, you can, right? Come on up out there, right? Jesus freaked everybody in the Bible study out, right? But then he also is like, hey, don't say anything. We call this in the theological world the messianic secret. We talked about this before. Jesus like They see Jesus doing stuff, and Jesus is like, hey, but don't tell anybody, right? Some of it was, even in the case of the lepers, um, just the irony of the fact that, now, Jesus, 
I have literally been walking around here umpteen years. I got limbs falling off. I got blotches of skin falling off. And all of a sudden, I'm restored, and you want me not to tell anybody? Shoot, you crazy. You could defy the master when you when he do something amazing, he tell you not to say something. You, man, look who healed me. Like, it was a bit of irony, right, that Jesus did that. But then the other, the main portion of the messianic secret is so that Jesus can control the narrative, right? He wants to define his messiahship on his own terms. See, the crowds, especially a, a Jewish-saturated crowd, what were they looking for? Remember, their Messiah was some kind of military conquering king who'd come back, he'd set things right, he'd overthrow the Roman government in control, he'd blast those Roman armies with uh, some kind of military uh, squadron, um, and he would lead the Jews to power. He'd restore this theocratic state in union. But that's not what Jesus came to do. And so if, 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 if word got out to all these people who were traveling large distances to come and rally around this king, it would throw the timing off, one, and it would not achieve what he was here to do. He wasn't here to overthrow Caesar in that type of way. What he was here to do was establish a kingdom uh, um, that would be themed by suffering. It would be themed by love and act of service, and it would end not with a throne, but it end with a cross. And the people didn't understand that. So he wanted to control the narrative. So he said, hey, man, silence. Let's be quiet. Now, every once in a while, I think it's good for us in our personal lives, especially even as we watch some of our brothers and sisters are just, man, just going through some strange and, and adverse seasons. We got to remind ourselves what kind of liberator we're looking for. I wonder if we were a part of those Jewish crowds, would we be like, hey, man, Jesus, why are you not fixing everything that's wrong in my life? Why you ain't, why you ain't just making the bank account just bananas, Lord? Why are you not restoring the ailments and the healings, Lord? Why are you not fixing my life? Why are you not mending these relationships, Lord? Why are you not making my life perfect, Lord? What kind of liberator are you looking for? Jesus says he has a better liberating plan for you that starts with the forgiveness of your sins and the restoring of an internal peace provided by his atoning blood that will make you flourish in any circumstance until he really set. He going to give you what you really want. It's true. It's coming. Tell your neighbor, say, it's coming. We, 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 we talked to, uh, to some married couples yesterday uh, just about... Um, I gave him a little bit of that, uh, that fasting message. Like, hey, man, Jesus said, hey, man, it ain't time to fast. When the bridegroom here, like, we going to celebrate and party. You do know the rivers will run red with wine and celebrating. It is coming, y'all. Just maybe not now. But just because it ain't coming now don't mean that he's left you alone. Amen, somebody? What kind of liberator are you looking for? He says, but... One thing that's going to be certain as we navigate through all these crowds and things like that, one thing that's going to be certain, a picture, a clear picture throughout all the Gospels, is that there will be a lot of people following Jesus all the time. Um, they're interested in what he's doing, the healing, the teachings, but they all aren't disciples. Everybody say, they all aren't disciples. Let's read verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. 
And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. Jacqueline, I need you back up to pronounce that. That is the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, right? What distinguishes this particular group from the group that was following him, the group that came miles away to see him? Well, I just got about, I think, seven things that I just noticed from these um, six or seven verses um, that I'd like to share with you, and I think this is where we'll spend the most of our time. The first thing I noticed about these disciples is that they are chosen out of God's good pleasure. He called to him those who he desired. This displays and it models what we would call the order salutis, right? It's just kind of in a mini version, right? We have been called by no merit of our own, but only because of his good pleasure. He's like, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. Now, why? Now, that seems unfair. Well, the counterbalance to that is the fact that if if it is because of something in you, then you have room for boasting. But Jesus says there'll be no boasting, right? You'll only be in this kingdom because of my extension of mercy and my sovereign choice. This is just how he does it. Lest we get there, girl, I couldn't believe you missed it. Don't go to your family member and say, I can't believe you just don't get it. Can I tell you what you need to do with the doctrine of election and sovereignty? You need to just praise God every time you hear it. The fact that your eyes are open. The fact that you got enough sense to get your behind up out of bed and run to the house of God with other believers. You don't flaunt that over, folks, because you didn't know. You would have been at the club Saturday night. Some of you were there last night. Praise God, you had enough sense to get up and come on in. It's the truth. When you hear the doctrine of election and sovereignty and providence, don't let it shake you up. Yes, it provides some frustration. Yes, there's some mystery that we haven't solved, but you just need to praise God that for some reason he chose you. Amen. But they respond. There's no one whom God has wanted that does not come, right? They respond, and this is crazy. You know, we, there's debate about when the disciples were actually saved and, and whatever. Were, were they invited to discipleship, or was this their salvation? I don't know, but I'd like to say it's probably simultaneous, right? At least in some instances, there are clear indicators that when Christ bids you to come, and be uh, just enveloped by his grace. He's also inviting you to come be with him and learn of him. Be my disciple and get on mission with me. All of it's happening at the same time. He's not just ransoming you and saying, man, I'm so glad you made it. Now you just go sit over there for a little bit. Now he's like, no, I'm making you a part. Come be with me. And as you can see now, in a few minutes, they're gathered to be sent out. Now, first of all, I just, we talked a little bit about it, but I just want to come back home, and you'll see it more. Have you ever been called out? You know, I, I can remember in high school, you know, and all the little girls, they sitting over on the side, and <laughs> you know, they, right, they laughing, and then all the dudes on this side, and they, you know what I'm saying, we, we do thing, and yeah, 
what up, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see, uh, you see Gina over there? Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then. Okay, then. Then I had to hit my little swag walk. Whoop, whoop. You know what I'm saying? Whoop, 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 whoop. And, and you know, it's Gina's over there with Sheila, Lisa, and Leangela. Y'all probably got Leangela's in y'all community, you know. And but but you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been called out before? And he's just like, hey little mama. Yeah. When I hit you with the little mama, that mean I'm cutting. <laughs> Have you ever been singled out before? Right? Now, I've been singled out on a number of different occasions. I've been in the classroom, and you know you get those nerves. Some where the MTR, where the teachers at, the educators. Oh, man, I just, I don't tell my son these stories because I want to give him hope, but I've been in the classroom before where you get the knock on the door. The administrator walk in the room. Timothy Johnson. <laughs> just heart just sink, right? Oh, man, it's about to go down, right? It's just been a number of days like that. I just still have a little PTSD right there. Just Tim, Timothy Johnson, right? Um, but Jesus singles us out calls us out. Man, it's just the beauty. I just want you to sit in there and think about the positive dysfunction of, hey, you though. Have you ever just sat on that, man? Just, but, but you, come here. So he singles us out, and then he singles us out to send us out. Do not separate, and I started to jump into this a little earlier, but don't separate your redemption from your mission. See those things as being forever and inextricably linked together. First Timothy 1.16, Paul says, but I've received mercy for this reason. Why, why, why did you, were you redeemed? I, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Did you know that? That's why you were saved, for a reason, for you could be used as a model. The gospel of the kingdom needed to be passed on. The deeds were to only to authenticate the words, but the true power was in the message of the gospel. And Jesus needed to make sure the message didn't just die with him, so he needed witnesses. And I'm, I'm reminded of Blake's message, um, and this kind of comes all the way back into it. So he needed to choose certain men from amongst the crowd in which he could write his message on their heart the purpose of redemption, that they would go out and they would carry that message abroad to everyone. So number five would be they were empowered. We see it, Matthew 28, 19, 20, right? Uh, all authority has been given to me. Now you go. Acts 1 and 8. Hey, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will give you power to be my witnesses. You've been empowered to go. So you've been chosen to be with Christ. You've been chosen and not only redeemed but you were sent and you've been empowered the sixth thing i noticed just about these disciples is that they're ordinary right they're not seminary trained they don't have any special or unique giftings and abilities they don't come accompanied with prophetic oracles uh they're not regulars in the synagogue they're just average joes right um, matter of fact, Acts 4 captures this so wonderfully. They said, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that Jesus had been with them. You know, when the gospel is really moving forward, it won't. When, when we really are experiencing revival on Summer Avenue, 38122-117-120, it will be not coming from the pulpit. It will be coming from y'all. 
People will literally be confused. They expect me to be the one. And then Jesus is Jesus that. But you know at the computer. Why? Isn't that just, huh? Like, but you on the football field at Kingsbury High School, like, ain't that just, yeah, it'll be astonishing to them. That's when we'll really be experiencing revival and shalom will be impacting this place. Just regular broken people who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit for an extraordinary task. They're ordinary dudes. And just a quick commercial, they're just, this is about as diverse a group as you could ever imagine. I'll just highlight two uh, people in the middle of these 12. You got Matthew, the tax collector, the reject, the outcast, the one who has abandoned his countrymen and robbed them. We talked about Matthew and two, Levi, the tax collector. But then you got my main man, Simon the Zealot. He is the epitome of Crip blood, Ku Klux Klan, Black Panther, just, oh, whoop, 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 right? He just, he is a ride or die Jew. He is such a zealot for his country that murder and violence and assassination, that ain't nothing to him and, and his crew. If we need to kill people to run out this uh, infection of foreigners amongst the Jewish pot, we'll do it. I'm not lying to you. They made special attention to say, this is Simon the Zealot. He wanted you to know who they were. But when Jesus calls people, come on, somebody. He's showing you the scope and the magnitude of his salvation. I'll call the zealot and I'll call the dude who, 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 is, who he turned his back on his countrymen. I'm going to put both of them together. Then I want to tell you something about your history. Yeah, white dude, M-U-S, oh, amen. Yeah, black dudes from the bricks of South Memphis, amen. Yeah, white girl from such and such a school and whatever you used to do, rich dude, silver spoon, uh, poor person, ex-black panther, yes, great. Do you know what your history is for? It's not primarily for your identification. It's to show the magnitude of his salvation. That's what it's for. <laughs> Where you at? I bet I'll call you if I want you. Come on, man. That's what it's about. And, he's, and, and if you are a part of any Christ-exalting faith community, you need to expect that. And you do need to have a little intuitive sense of, man, if everybody in here look like me, uh, uh, Something might not be right because we know he didn't just call us black folk. We know he didn't just call us Hispanic folk. We know he called everybody. We know the end picture that it'll be every nation, tribe, and tongue. So there might need to be a little pinch there because this is what God does. God uses these 12 men. Acts 17 say he, he used them to turn the world upside down, but these aren't just a group of spiritual Navy SEALs. These are, once again, ordinary people on whom the Holy Spirit rests, and they are actually Jesus' family. And they're going to tell the rest of the world that you can also be a part of this family. And this family that Jesus has created has superseded all other forms of human allegiance. 
this new family has now superseded all other forms of human allegiance. Write it down. I'll come back to it. This new family that you're a part of has now superseded all other forms of human allegiance. Verse 20. Then he went home. The crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. That had been a problem for me. I'm just saying. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Now, there's a literary technique that the gospel writers use. It's called an inclusio, right? And it's where the, the, the writer will state the theme or the idea at the beginning and the end of a story. It's almost like a little sandwich. And it's intended to, to introduce and conclude a main point, and everything in between is to be read in light of what came before and what's going to come at the bottom, right? Uh, we'll, we'll deal with the material inside of this little inclusio next week, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound exciting? Uh, always wanted to study that, didn't you? Uh, but in order for us to kind of form the full picture... Let's, let's, we're going to need to borrow a little bit um, from the last verses of 31. I'll read them for you. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your father and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered and said, Who are my mother and brother? And looking about at those who sat around, he said, Here are my mother, brother, and my sisters. Forever who does the will of God, he is my brother, and he is my mother. So basically, Jesus, we set the scene for you. All these crowds are pushing up on him. He gets his disciples ready. He calls them to himself so they can go to a little place and be more intimate. But the, whatever they retreat to, um, they keep getting pushed up on. Jesus' family hears about this. Here's what he's doing. They hear about what he's teaching. And their conclusion is what? He's out of his mind. So they actually are getting ready to stage an intervention. They come into wherever Jesus is teaching and doing his thing, and they about to say, hey, Jesus, you need to come on up out of there. Have y'all ever been, had your family just, you come on up out of there, right? So they staging an inter intervention here uh, for Jesus because he's embarrassing the family. He's embarrassing the family with his new lifestyle so radical, so against the culture that it's just causing great shame and they have to take it upon themselves to come and snatch him out of it. Some of y'all have experienced some very difficult leave and cleave kind of situations. Your new life devoted for Christ has actually blackballed you amongst your family. And I just want to let you know today you're in good company. When you open up your mouth, people just get all tense. Hearts drop. They don't want to hear what you got to say no more. They don't invite you over no more. Hey, can I, oh, here you going to come with that. So I just want to let you know, Jesus is literally being looked at by his biological kin as someone who has lost his mind. They are literally, if they could commit him, they would commit him. This is how far it had gotten. But if you're in a situation where you're being ridiculed, even by people, groups, family, fraternities, teammates um, that look at you now as something kind of weird, I just want to let you know, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness sake. That's Matthew 5. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of who? Me. Not because you dress different. 
Not because you listen to different music. No, because your, your life is marked with the aroma of Christ. When people persecute you because of that, you're in good company. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. You're in good company. But can I just say, our Christianity, in some circles, is so in line and in step with the world, nobody ever says anything wrong with how we live. I think that's also a problem, too. If you are welcomed into every circle unreservedly, something's probably a little wrong. Because what you're about is so countercultural to the rest of the world. At some point, it has to cause somebody reservation. Oh, you believe? Oh, you want? Everybody can't be your friend. And in the world of friendship evangelism, which I love, I'm all about serving and being the best neighbors and being the most kind and compassionate people on your street. But even in that, I think there is uh, some neighbors of mine that literally when they found out I was a pastor, we used to talk, we used to meet at the mailbox, they found out I was a pastor, they stopped fooling with me like that. I ain't say nothing. But you don't know me, I still want to love you, let's go play a little bocce ball or something. <laughs> nah, I'm good. I just want to wrap this up. So you got this, the crowds of people who are following Jesus from everywhere. They're interested in the teaching, and they're just interested in the glitz and glamour. They're the Twitter followers, right? Jesus calls those, the, the people who could DM him and get a response back, though. Like, those are the disciples. He says, come be with me. And not only say, come be with me, but he's hand-selected them. And not only just say, come be with me, I'm going to send you out with a specific message, and I'm going to send you out with power to accomplish what I've called you to do. And then you get to this little, little story about the family. I mean, I'm just amazed at this. In a culture where family is absolutely first in priority, Jesus stands with his biological family right outside the door. He looks at the groups of thieves, fishermen, and zealots. He says, you're my family. This is, I didn't put it in the passage, but this is Mark 31 through 35. That's what I, the, the, the bottom slice of bread that I wanted to include. This just appalls me. Forgive me if I take my time. The disciples are like, Jesus, your mama and your, your brothers and them outside? No. You're my family. This is, this is a really hard teaching, but it's true. Jesus says that the relationship that we now have with him and in him, united in Christ, it supersedes all other allegiances, your biological kin, your teammates, your fraternity, your street, your hood, your, your gang. What, all, all that other stuff is subordinated to this new thing that Christ is doing with people he's hand-selected and empowered for his purpose. Now, this is hard, man, 
Because there are literally people we are walking with in this room as we start walking through some different seasons of their life. That that strain of family and allegiances is real and it's hard. It's hard. We were crying the other day about some folks who had to do some leaving and cleaving. It was like, you know, everybody could say I'm ready to be old and independent. I'm ready to get outside my mom and them house. But then when it really happens, though. And that's that's straining. What does it mean that I'm going to have to be over here and actually take stances on things? And oh, that's hard. Because with everything, I think I was telling someone, with everything, and I love my mom. My mom's a, a strong woman. I love her. But there is something kind of weird every time I want to, every time we leave and I embrace her, I just really want to fall into her arms and just weep on her like a little baby boy who needs his mama. And maybe that's a noble thing, but that's not the ultimate thing. And it's real. The affection and affirmation of other people is hard to distance yourself from and live without. You can say, for Christ I live and for Christ I die. But would you have enough gall to stand in a room with strangers and hear the voice of the woman who birthed you inches away from you? You can almost smell a fragrance. You hear the people you played with, your brothers and your sisters. You know they have some kind of affection and love with you. And now you stand in the room of strangers and could just say, no, this is my family. This is all a part of this mystical union of being united with Christ. Colossians 3 says that you've died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The old you is gone. All your old attachments, those things are gone. All that old, put the APB out. Where he at? He gone. It's a new you that's been hidden with Christ in God. This book, man, really, I don't know if it's my second salvation. You can't have a second salvation. It's one of my favorite books, The Cost of Discipleship. I think he captures this kind of perfectly. I would encourage you, if you want to get it from me, as long as it come back in two weeks, I'll let you get it. If it don't, I'm going to have to send my people out for you, my holy henchmen. Hey. Okay, then. All right. All right. Let me just read this passage for you as we wind it down. It says, the call of Jesus teaches that our relation to the world has been built on an illusion. All the time we thought we had enjoyed, we, we had enjoyed a direct relationship with men and things. This is what had hindered us from faith and obedience. Now we learn that in the most intimate relationships of life, in our kinship with our father, mother, brothers and sisters, in married love, and in our duty to the community, direct relationships are impossible. Since the coming of Christ, his followers have no more immediate realities of their own not in their family relationships, nor in the ties with their nation, nor in their relationships formed in the process of living. Between father and son, husband and wife, the individual and the nation stands Christ the mediator, whether they are able to recognize him or not. We cannot establish direct contact outside ourselves except through him, through his word and through our following of him. 
to think otherwise is to deceive ourselves. He carries his point further and the imagery he just uses. He says, when you come to Christ, there's a cross that now separates you from everything that you used to have. And you're only free to pick back up what he tells you to pick back up. He says he stands not only as the mediator between you and God, but between you and the rest of your former life. It's a hard thing, but it's a true thing. Rosaria Butterfield puts it like this. She says, my Christian life came in exchange for the life I used to desire, not in addition to it. Some of you need to hear me this morning. You've tried to form a little hybrid. But Christianity is not a hybrid. It's a come follow me. Not attack on to your life that you want to live, but in exchange for it. This is a drastic reordering of life. If I could sum it up as we process it, we need to differentiate between the crowds and the true followers of Christ in our own lives. And we need to prioritize our true family over any other human allegiance that we have. But I, I, I want to I wanna hope that you're encouraged this morning. The encouragement is this, is that we know that Christ forfeits and sets aside his divinity to live among us and to die as the criminals for our salvation. But when your weak stinks, the wheels kind of get stuck in the mud, you're just bumping up on some, some tough seasons of your life. <laughs> I hope you remember. That Christ stood in a room. And when given the decision to choose his biological family over folks who still struggle with pornography, folks with bad attitudes, lackluster spiritual formation, don't read, don't pray, that he chose you a band of sinners and he calls you his family.